Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with a loaded edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back with your AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview, along with a complete breakdown of everything that happened on AEW Dynamite and NXT this past Wednesday. There is so much to get to in today's show, so much to talk about heading into a loaded full gear pay-per-view. We're not going to waste any time off the top. A reminder, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. It is imperative that if you have a Twitter account, you follow us at GettingOverCast. And please, Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review for Getting Over. It is all about the five. Let people know how much you love the show. It will only help us in the rankings, help us get more listeners. That is the name of the game. Like I said, we're not going to waste much time getting into it today. Here's how today's show is going to work. We're going to start off talking NXT, usually whenever we do these ultimate previews, we save the ultimate preview for the end of the show. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to talk everything that happened on NXT. Then we're going to roll into some of the extraneous stuff from AEW Dynamite that doesn't necessarily fit on the full gear card. And then we will do the AEW full gear ultimate preview where we will talk about what happened on Dynamite as it pertains to those matches, make predictions for those matches, and roll on for the remainder of the show. A reminder also, if you just happen to be an AEW viewer, if you just happen to be an NXT viewer, there are timestamps in our episode description. So you can skip right down to the full gear preview, the stuff we talk about Dynamite, or if you're NXT, you're gonna be able to listen right off the top and maybe not listen to the end of the show. Though, look, candidly, I think you guys know a little bit the Silver King has a 55-45 preference maybe for NXT generally, but I love both shows and I really seriously suggest if you are a fan of professional wrestling, if you're an AEW fan, you should be watching NXT. And if you're an NXT fan, you should be watching AEW. So I hope everyone on these Thursday episodes is listening to the entire show. But as I said, we are going to get started with NXT and that show kicked off with Dakota Kai defeating Ember Moon. It was a perfect opening match in every sense. Great action throughout, a really nice story. It never slowed down. Moon baited Kai with a free shot, locked her in a cross face before they traded a pinning combination. Kai tried to wrench the shoulder. Moon was going insane at one point, and that was pretty awesome in the match. Raquel Gonzalez eventually got in, distracted Moon on the top rope, giving Dakota Kai an opening to hit a hanging heel kick for the win. I never necessarily mind when a heel wins semi-clean, but it felt like this match should have been Moon's victory since she's still newly back and presumably building toward a feud with either Io Shirai or Rhea Ripley, whoever ends up being the NXT Women's Champion. We'll talk about that in a bit. But I guess if they are going to do a interim feud between Ember Moon and Dakota Kai, you probably need it to start with Dakota Kai getting the win here and then Ember Moon fighting back perhaps in a stipulation match or something like that. None of that changes the quality of this match. It was 18 minutes to open the show. The perfect choice for an opener. Really good job from NXT getting the show rolling. Next up was Kushida defeating Cameron Grimes. Grimes was freaked out backstage before the match after that House of Terrors deal last week. Another pretty entertaining and damn interesting match. Uh, Almost a junior heavyweight 
style match, but without all of the high flying. It's nice to see Kushida once again operating at this level that we know he can operate. He had a really cool hoverboard lock slam from the middle rope. Grimes accidentally knocks out the ref twice. Kushida gets a submission with a hoverboard lock, but there's no one there to call it. So Grimes ends up hitting Kushida with a crossbody Spanish fly. The referee was still down, unable to count. Then the guy who played the zombie referee last week runs down to the ring to fill in and do the count or, or, or call the submission. Scares Grimes. He starts running around. Kushida jumps on him, locks him in the hoverboard lock and gets the win. All while Grimes is screaming bloody murder because he's not only getting hurt, but he's also scared because of the referee. I legitimately laughed out loud at this finish. And I think over the last couple months, ever since NXT has given, I guess, more time to developing its mid-card and some of the newer performers on the brand, Cameron Grimes has been one of the breakout stars. This match and the way they told this story still playing into last week, man, Vince knows. This is such good shit. I guess I should probably say when I play that, Bray knows, not Vince, but nevertheless, I think he got the point. Uh, We had Io Shirai, the NXT Women's Champion, issue a challenge to Rhea Ripley, saying that in order for Shirai to truly claim NXT as her own, she has to beat Ripley one-on-one in a title match. This was another instance of NXT accentuating the positives of its performers by having Shirai do a well-produced, taped promo. Every time they do one of these with her, she comes across badass and serious and not necessarily demonic is the word I was going to say, but like there's something there, like like in the back of her head that she, there's a switch that she's going to turn on. Again, badass. She comes off awesome in these taped promos. Rhea Ripley responded later in the show. She accepted the challenge. I don't actually know if she responded on the show and I turned away, but I saw it on social media. So if you didn't see it, it's not, nothing you really need to go seek out, but she just says, yeah, I'm down for this match. This is the match I've wanted. Either way, it doesn't really matter. I cannot wait for Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley. That is the big money women's match right now in NXT. Are they going to do it on the main event of a TV show possibly? Give it 20 to 30 minutes? That's certainly possible. Can they possibly save it if they do NXT TakeOver War Games? Yes, although I would say they're doing perhaps a few too many TakeOvers. Those really need to be built up a little bit better. But if you're going to have Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley, that can main event a TakeOver. So I don't know what they're going to do with this match, but I do hope if it is on TV, it's given like a 30 minute window. That way, any commercial breaks don't really interrupt the actual action that we see between the two. Uh, We had Drake Maverick and Killian Dane go up against Everrise here, but this match only lasted a couple minutes. Instead, we saw Pat McAfee, Pete Dunne, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch all pull up in an Escalade. They interrupted the match, cleared the ring. McAfee grabbed a camera. He worked it a little bit before spitting absolute fire on the Undisputed Era using a lot of insider terms, you know, that the IWC, the internet wrestling community would know about. He's been cutting a lot of promos on them. So I think it's kind of funny that he uses those terms, uh, insider wrestling terms in his promos, despite being very much still an outsider of the wrestling industry. Uh, Dunn said, and it made total storyline sense that he turned on Kyle O'Reilly and the Undisputed Era because Roderick Strong turned on him during that Dusty Rhodes Invitational where Undisputed Era eventually wound up winning. Uh, The Kings of NXT, which is what I think they're calling themselves, they need a better name, doesn't really work, but the Kings of NXT were going to hang the Undisputed Era flag 
in the rafters, but instead decided to burn it in a trash can as McAfee, for some reason, shit on Vic Joseph uh, and all of the fans, both in attendance and those on the screen. Right as they're walking back to the Escalade, NXT stayed with them after the segment. Killian Dane attacked Pat McAfee, which was pretty cool because, yeah, if you're Killian Dane and you're getting attacked by four dudes, you're going to be angry about it and you're going to want some retribution. No pun intended. I have to say that now, even though retribution is a commonly used word in wrestling. So you're, if you're Dane, you're going to want to do that attack. So it looked pretty cool that he's going right after that head of the new group. But Dane basically gets, you know, beaten up by the other guys. And then Pete Dunne slams Killian Dane's head in between an open car door and the door itself. And as they drive off, McAfee, first of all, looks stunned that Dunne did it. And you're like, why is he so surprised? Dunne's, you know, an aggressive dude. Well, you see that Killian Dane's laying on the ground with a huge pool of blood holding his jaw, almost like his head got split open uh, by Pete Dunne slamming the car door. This was simultaneously really good, this segment, but also far too long. McAfee's great on the mic, but he does not need to be cutting a 10-minute promo or be involved in a 12-minute segment. They could have probably trimmed four minutes off this entire thing, and it would have been so much better. So really good in terms of design. Execution solid as well, but just stretched a little bit longer than it needed to be. Nevertheless, successful overall. Uh, Johnny Gargano, as we have now learned, not only is he the new North American champion, he loves wheels after hating wheels for a a significant period of time. Uh, Going back and forth between hating and loving them, it's just a really funny, it's not even a gimmick, just this thing that he's doing, uh, being so against them when he found out that the stipulation was going to be decided that way, and then loving them so much when the stipulation allowed him to basically cheat and win the title. Uh, The guy wearing the Scream costume was playing a board game at Johnny Gargano's house, but he was still wearing the costume for some reason. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. This was more filler than anything else, but look, Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, what they're doing right now, it really works. It makes me laugh. In the next segment, Tony Storm defeated Shotzi Blackheart in a one-on-one match. Blackheart cut a short promo about choosing Storm because she wanted a test. It was an improvement for her on the mic. Storm cut one also about being more aggressive. But as I said previously, it's weird that Tony Storm keeps talking about being different now that she's in NXT US, but her gimmick and her look is exactly the same. Whereas Ember Moon was talking about being different and she looks totally different. So I kind of wish they did a little bit more with Tony Storm. Nevertheless, Shotzi Blackheart, Tony Storm, they tore it up. It was really a great night of wrestling in NXT. And the two women's matches were the best matches on the show. This was fantastic wrestling. Shotzi did an insane springboard tornado DDT off the top rope to the outside. She was then distracted by Candice LeRae on the big screen, holding her tank that she drives to the ring hostage in the middle of a road. So Storm ends up catching her with a bridge pinning combination and gets the win. LeRae then, it turns out there's a Hummer that pulls up. She runs over the tank with a Hummer and told Blackheart it was basically her fault for sticking her nose in Candice LeRae's business, costing her the NXT women's title at Halloween Havoc. Then we find out the Scream character is sitting in the back seat, presumably the person who drove the vehicle up so that Candice LeRae could get in and run over the tank. 
After that, Tony Storm is in the ring consoling Shotzi Blackheart. So it does seem clear that they're going with the Shotzi Blackheart Candice LeRae storyline, which is fine. Again, we question why didn't Candice LeRae end up winning the NXT Championship, Women's Championship? It, it may it would have made more sense potentially to go in that direction. But there is a storyline for Candice. There is a storyline for Shotzi. That is good. Blackheart screaming and crying about it. This seemed though despite maybe decent storytelling, it seemed like a pretty weak way to end a match of this caliber. And again, just like I said with Ember Moon earlier, Tony Storm is somewhat new to the brand. She needs clean, good, solid wins just as much as anyone. While we know she's great, they also need to establish that in kayfabe. Shotzi also getting so upset, crying so much about the tank, is relatively silly when you can buy a new one and recreated. It's a toy, ultimately. It's not, it's a stupid tank, right? Shotzi's gimmick, it's just odd to me. And I don't know how successful it's going to be long-term. So if they killed this tank to kind of take her in a little bit more of a serious direction, okay. But you have her screaming about like ball pits and doing her woo type of wolf howling sound and then riding a tank to the ring. I'm okay with a gimmick, you know, that's a little bit more fun, but she's also a really damn good wrestler. And I think there's a longer way to go with her. Her getting upset about the tank is silly though, regardless, just like Miro and Kip Sabian being upset about the video game console for multiple weeks is ridiculous. So we'll see what ends up happening here. I just wasn't totally thrilled that we can't get cleaner finishes and matches where the matches are so damn good. And that is something that AEW may have a little tick up on NXT about, despite the wrestling in NXT being absolutely incredible. We saw Jake Atlas defend himself from Legato del Fantasma in the parking lot with a tire iron. The NXT parking lot is crazy dangerous. Uh, I guess they're moving on from Swerve making Atlas the next challenger. That certainly should not be a title change situation. Let uh, Fantasma Santos Escobar really uh, get over on Atlas. So it's fine for him to get another challenger. Uh, we got another Thatch as Thatch can segment. Timothy Thatcher tapping out some dude a couple of times. The guy got pissed because Thatcher went hard at it, despite saying it was an exhibition. Thatcher told him he'd get the guy over on the next go around, basically letting him get a submission on Thatcher. Instead, Thatcher reversed it and tapped him out in an ankle lock. Suddenly, this guy, Austin Gray, the guy from two weeks ago when they did this segment, he runs into makes the save. So it looks like they're going to do a program between Timothy Thatcher and this guy I've never heard of before. Maybe he's an indie wrestler. I'm not personally familiar with him, but he's a brand new talent they're introducing, it seems. Or maybe Thatcher just absolutely murders him next week and we move on and wait for him to get another challenger. We got a little bit more information about Zia Lee and the letters that she has been receiving from Boa. It turns out they're coming from her family. It was strange that William Regal delivered one this week when they made it a point to say that Boa is the one who had been delivering them to her. She wouldn't share the details of the letters, but basically just said she needs to turn things around in the ring because her family is upset. That's what the storyline seems to be. Uh, Zia Lee got the other letter, as I said, from William Regal, said she was dishonored last week. By the way, Raquel Gonzalez just basically threw her out of the ring and wants a challenge with her next week. So now we wait to see, you know, Raquel Gonzalez presumably squash Zia Lee, despite Zia Lee Uh, doing better than she has so far in NXT, looking better than she has so far in NXT, you can't imagine Raquel Gonzalez losing to Zia Lee. So now what is the storyline going to be with Zia? We don't know. That's what we need to find out. 
Uh, and the main event of NXT, Tommaso Ciampa defeats Velveteen Dream. Ciampa beat the absolute shit out of Dream for the first half of this match. Almost all of the match, actually, when we go back to think about it. There was a superplex that got 2.8 count, and there was a piped-in This Is Awesome chant, even though this was a very good match, but it was like the fourth best match on the show. WWE keeps doing this. They save like the This Is Awesome chant for the main event when there's matches earlier in the show that are actually more awesome, awesomer, whichever uh, you feel like is more appropriate. Uh, Dream hit a tope elbow on Champa. They tried to do a, that vertical suplex spot over the top rope where one person lands on the floor and then the other person gets suplexed after them. That failed. Luckily, both guys were okay. Uh, Dream threw a chair in the ring to distract the referee so he could use his cast, but Champa caught him with a flying knee off the top rope and then rolled him into the middle rope in a really cool spot for the widow's bell, followed with a fairytale ending for the absolutely crystal clear one, two, three. This was a really exciting main event and a good match. And while some of the other matches were better on the show, as I said, this had the most decisive, clean finish of the night. What's good is all of the finishes, despite me maybe being a little bit upset that they weren't clean, they were at least creative. Champa, I posted this on our Twitter account. Reminder, follow us at Getting Overcast. He cut a promo when the show went off the air about NXT and family and the world of professional wrestling overcoming the COVID pandemic. It was a damn good like three and a half minute promo. Go seek that out if you have not seen it already. Uh, there are plenty of questions left for NXT as we end the night. So it was a very good overall show. But unlike most weeks where I pick out the singularly big storyline or moment, and I talk about that at the top, there wasn't one of those this week. It was just a very, very solid two-hour program, whether they booked it that way because of the election still going on and still being counted, because of AEW doing their go-home show to full gear, knowing they're not going to win the ratings battle this week, or maybe a combination of the two. I'm not sure. But I want to be clear, even though I have some criticism for maybe some of the storylines and some of the booking decisions, that doesn't mean I didn't like the show. This was a damn fine two hours of NXT and the wrestling in the four major matches was absolutely fantastic. So if you have not seen it yet, or if you're questioning whether you should go watch NXT, you need to watch NXT. Okay, now moving into NXT, as I said, we're going to start with the things that don't necessarily have a direct impact on Full Gear before we get to our Full Gear Ultimate Preview. Miro defeated Trent in a one-on-one -on -one match. Miro insulted Sue before the match, so Trent attacked him at the bell. Chuck Taylor took uh, Kip Sabian out at ringside. Miro turned a pretty cool submission into a vertical suplex. It was a cool spot. Then threw Trent out of the ring between the turnbuckles. Miro caught a flying knee, transitioned it into a Uranage, another cool spot. Trent hit a Kope Kongiro, Tornado DDT, and Kinshasa, but only got a two count. Trent then lost because he slipped on a springboard purposely, you know, in, in booking-wise. They meant for him to do it. He slipped on trying a springboard attempt, Miro caught him, locked him in the accolade for the win. I don't know the new name of his submission finisher, but it's the accolade, the same move. This was a really well-wrestled and exciting match, but it was not really necessary to have Trent, who is not really a singles wrestler right now in AEW, go 13 minutes with Miro in his first singles match and only lose because he made an unforced error. Miro grabbed a mic, started insulting Sue again, Orange Cassidy came around, did a trust fall to the outside. It's just so strange to me 
but they won't let Miro get big, clean wins and look dominant. This was a major addition. I know he's not factoring into your big storylines right now, but you have Brian Cage, who's like 10 and one, dominating people, and you're you're building him up as dominant, and he's not going after a title right now. So why can't you be doing the same to Miro? Why can't you be building him up? Lance Archer has disappeared off the face of the earth. <laughs> you know, so why not use Miro now? Uh, it's just, it's weird that the way they're booking him, I absolutely hate it. The match was good and well-wrestled. I mean, it was a damn good Miro match, but it just didn't do really much for me at the end. Team Taz called out Tony Khan. Taz was ranting again about Will Hobbs not making a decision yet. He said his time is running out. It's been running out for what, three weeks now? It's What's what's the time limit? Is it a month? Like, like how much time does this guy have to decide whether he wants to join your team or not? He also called out Tony Khan uh, for not having anyone on Team Taz on the full gear card, despite Brian Cage being 10 and one and number one in the rankings and Ricky Starks having won 10 of his last 11 matches, but not even being ranked. So look, I know in kayfabe, they're using the rankings to tell a storyline. And that's a good usage of the rankings. But this also goes to show the problem with AEW's rankings. Even though I like the concept, the execution just isn't there. How can a guy who's 10 and one on that kind of streak not be ranked? How can a guy who is 10 and one and number one in your rankings not be in a title match or not have a title opportunity set forth like three dynamites from now, he gets a title opportunity. It's just, it's so strange the way they sometimes use and sometimes don't use the rankings. Then Taz randomly called out Cody and promised there would be an FTW presence at full gear. This car is so loaded and bloated. They do not need to add more. So hopefully FTW is just in the crowd watching the matches, maybe deciding who they're going to attack next. It seems like them calling out Cody means they're either going to start a program with Cody, perhaps Brian Cage versus Cody, just regular, or a title feud for the TNT title where Brian Cage might go up against Cody. So maybe that factors into our prediction for that match a little bit. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not exactly sure. What I will say is this was far better than last week's promo from Taz. At least there was some meat to the bone as opposed to just calling out Will Hobbs and disappearing, where that didn't even need to be on the show two weeks ago. Nevertheless, I would say better to save all of this for TV. If it was up to me, they wouldn't be on full gear. Give people a reason to tune into Dynamite next week. They should have just said, Cody, we'll be waiting for you next week on Dynamite. Win or lose. And then uh, last thing that doesn't really factor into full gear, there was an absolutely incredible vignette video package of Pac showing him stuck in isolation over in the United Kingdom and basically developing almost multiple personalities, becoming psychotic, getting into his own head, watching Dynamite on TV go on without him there. He mentioned it's far from the first time he's been forgotten about and left to fend for himself, which was a great callback to his time in WWE. It looks like he may come back and actually feud with Eddie Kingston, perhaps over the family, Pentagon and Phoenix. I loved every bit of it. I'm not sure what's going to happen when Pac does come back, but he is a massive talent. And one of the things I was most excited about when AEW started So to see that they're working him back into the fold, obviously for WWE, some of the UK talent has been able to come back for uh, NXT. Bobby Roode, a Canadian, was able to come back for the main roster. So it does seem like some of this international stuff is opening up and getting Pac back in at AEW. Even if he only shows up for like two shows a month, maybe he stays for like a week at a time, tapes two things and then goes back. Whatever it is, excited to potentially have him back really soon. 
So with that, we are going to move into our AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview. Now, based on what I can tell with a very quick count, it looks like we have nine matches on this card. Eight on the Maiden Show, one on the Buy-In. And look, WWE has actually done a really good job recently cutting down its pay-per-view cards. AEW is in a different spot because they are asking you to pay $50 out of your pocket, even though it's every couple of months, it's still they're asking you to pay $50 for a pay-per-view. All Out was so disappointing and arguably their worst pay-per-view in terms of one that you had to pay for. They did a couple free shows right before Dynamite started that were mediocre. But All Out really fell below expectations. What AEW has done for Full Gear is present a card that has the potential, no doubt, to be the best pay-per-view special event of the year. That doesn't mean it's going to be. It has a lot of really good NXT takeovers, a couple really good WWE pay-per-views, and then you go over to New Japan, you talk about Wrestle Kingdom, I think 14 it was. Uh, I mean, the the pay-per-views, the special events this year have been great in wrestling despite the pandemic. So AEW Full Gear has a very large hill to climb. However, the card that they have put together for this show, not necessarily every match, but can deliver in a monumental way. So let's start breaking it down, enough previewing it. We'll start with the new buy-in match, the NWA Women's Championship on the line as Serena Deeb defends against Allison Kay. This was added last minute to the buy-in when they moved another match to the main card. I feel like adding this and moving the other match, we'll talk about that in a moment, were both completely unnecessary moves. AEW doesn't even book its own women's division well, but now it's having a second women's title match on a pay-per-view with absolutely zero build to it. That's the type of shit people used to run WWE through the mud over. Not just booking a match on a kickoff show that didn't need to be on there or had no build, but a women's title match, just throwing it on there. Now, look, this is the NWA women's title. It's not the AEW women's title. So in that respect, it's better. But WWE did some horrendous booking, both in the past, far past, and even in the recent past, when it came to like kickoff show matches and stuff. This is equally as horrendous. It's just, it's a bad decision. The match should be very good. These are two very good women's wrestlers. I think Allison K, Serena Deeb, Serena Deeb is someone in AEW. Allison K is someone they probably should sign if they get that opportunity because, again, the women's division is very lackluster. But AEW spent a grand total of five minutes on Dynamite talking women's wrestling and showing women's wrestling this week. And this wasn't even mentioned on the show. They may have shown a card graphic and like talked about the match was going to happen. But the people weren't even on Dynamite, and they haven't been on Dynamite. Yeah, Serena Deeb did have an NWA match, or I think it was a non-title match, after becoming women's champion, I think, last week. But that's all you've seen about it. So for this to be on a pay-per-view, to be on the buy-in, it's just unnecessary. It's a nine-match card now. You didn't need eight matches. You needed six or seven. It's bloated. This didn't need to be there. Orange. uh, So in terms of who's going to win, Serena Deeb's going to win. She just won the NWA women's title. There's no way she's going to drop it this quickly to Allison K. Uh, now the match moved off of the buy-in onto the main show, Orange Cassidy versus John Silver. For me, this was just an overreaction of Tony Khan always buying into what the fans are tweeting at him. He's so, on Twitter so much, he cares so much about the internet wrestling community that sometimes it affects his own booking decisions. 
There is no problem with having Orange Cassidy versus John Silver as a buy-in match, okay? John Silver, despite being over now and people liking him and his story's kind of cute and whatever, he is not the type of competitor who needs to have a main pay-per-view match with Orange Cassidy, and their feud isn't the type of feud that needs to take up time on the main pay-per-view card when you have all of the other matches that we're going to discuss. So there was absolutely zero harm in this being on the buy-in, being a pretty exciting buy-in match, but there's been hardly any build to it on Dynamite. As I said, no reason for Tony Khan to move it onto the main show that's already loaded. Silver is a fine niche wrestler, but this isn't a Dynamite or a buy-in. It's a pay-per-view card. This is not a pay-per-view match, even if it ends up being good. So many of these matches are gonna go 25, 30, 35 minutes. I'm already anticipating this pay-per-view going past midnight. So again, these two matches, just unnecessary. I cannot see any scenario other than a huge Dark Order interference type of deal, and AEW really doesn't do that, where Orange Cassidy loses. Coming off of two losses to Cody, a loss to Brody Lee, this after beating Chris Jericho uh, in a three-match series. So Orange Cassidy wins, Serena Deeb wins. Let's move over to the stuff that actually matters on AEW Full Gear. The elite deletion, Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara. So early in the show on Wednesday night, Hardy took Guevara out with a flying steel chair. Before the private party tag team match, Guevara attacked Matt Hardy, hit him with a twist of fate, which was a pretty cool spot. There's really nowhere to go but up from their all-out match. And given that this seems to be cinematic, and back in the Broken Universe or at the Hardy Compound, I'm sure this is going to end up being very good. It's weird that they've done nothing to actually set up this match within the Broken Universe, have Matt Hardy cut a couple promos from the compound, air them on Dynamite. So it's strange that they haven't gone to that length, but it really feels like this match was just added. Like this feud was supposed to end it all out. This match just got added to wrap up the storyline in a somewhat clean way. After All Out not only was a debacle, but it was disappointing on top of it. So I have to assume Matt Hardy is going to win here. I don't know what winning an elite deletion match would do for Sammy right now. Sammy's in a spot where he's not being pushed extremely strong either as a singles wrestler or as a tag team wrestler. Neither is Matt Hardy really, but if you're going to have the home field advantage, then you sh- and it's not against your brother, then you should probably win. So Matt Hardy, the winner here. Next, we have the TNT Championship Cody defending against Darby Allen. Darby did a video package where he broke a car window with his skateboard unnecessarily because the car was just in the middle middle of a field. So he probably could have just walked into it and then drove the car into a guy wearing a Cody mask with a cigar in his mouth. He then sat alone in the crowd watching the main event. I've already recently said my piece about Darby Allen. It's disappointing to see him disappoint. That's what I'll say. In the main event of AEW Dynamite, we had Cody and Gun Club defeat the Dark Order. Let me start by saying, and I know I'm being very critical off the top of on AEW here, I'm going to get very positive as this thing goes. But let me start by saying this had no business main eventing a go-home show. Why the hell are you doing a six? This is very WWE, but not even that. These half these almost everyone in this match is not on the pay-per-view except for Cody, and then obviously Darby Allen in the stands. So why is this main eventing a go-home show? 
the John Moxley, Eddie Kingston segment, which we will talk about later as our final part of this AEW Full Gear Ultimate Preview. That should have been the final segment. Without a doubt, you want to send people home anticipating your show. Cody and Darby does not make me excited about Full Gear. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, along with some of the other matches you have, that's what's getting me excited about Full Gear. Um, so this was Cody, a tag team. I don't think the gun clubs ever had a match yet on Dynamite, but maybe I'm wrong, but it's possible. Against lesser members of the Dark Order. Are you kidding me? Austin Gunn got the win, then Cody cut a pretty decent promo saying Darby was wrong, that TNT executives didn't want him as the face of the network. He's basically his own worst enemy and can't be the ace of AEW because Cody is the ace who left the empire, went to war, and actually won, and it pisses a lot of people off. I don't know why it would piss anyone on TNT off. They should be really happy. But I guess maybe he thinks WWE's pissed that he left and is successful. So I have no idea what any of that really has to do with Darby. It's like he, Cody cut a promo about himself, a heelish type of promo about himself, while simultaneously saying, hey, Darby, no, you're your own worst enemy. It didn't feel like it was really building up their match more, but okay, it wasn't Cody's best. I like the heelish turn. It's building off what Arn Anderson basically did a couple weeks ago, cheating to help Cody beat Orange Cassidy. In terms of this match, I'm really of two minds about it. On one hand, the storyline of Darby thinking he can't be the face of AEW Dynamite because TNT doesn't want him there, you would want to counter that by making him the face, right? And giving him the TNT title. That would be the entire point. Also, let's not forget, I believe Cody and Darby Allen fought to a time limit finish very early uh, in the AEW Dynamite you know, run. So there is some storytelling to do there where it maybe gets close to the end again and Darby sneaks out a win. But then you think, why did you take the title off Cody and put it on Brody Lee only to put it back on Cody a month later just to take it off of him a month, six weeks later and put it on Darby Allen? So in terms of a prediction here, like I don't even know what direction to go. I think I'm going to say Cody wins cheating with Arn Anderson helping him or some type of, you know, schmoz finish that that factors in. And maybe they either have a rematch down the line or Darby goes on to a different type of feud. I mean, I think I'm probably, my head tells me that Darby should win. The gut is saying, Cody, I always stick with the gut. So I will say Cody wins, but I could definitely see being wrong about this one. This is the one match where, I really think it could go either way. Next, we have the AEW Women's Championship match, and we're talking about it low on our you know ultimate preview here because that's how AEW's treated this match, candidly. Uh, Hikaru Shida defending against Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose beat Red Velvet in one minute as Shinda watched from the crowd. After a weird delay where nothing happened, Vicky Guerrero eventually cut a promo on Brandy Rhodes for no reason and then told Shida that Rose would break her bones before instigating a 15-second brawl uh, over the barricade that no one really did anything. That was the entire women's segment on Dynamite. Literally, that was the entire women's segment on Dynamite heading into a title match that already had been hardly built or developed ahead of the pay-per-view. The women's division is an absolute joke, despite many of the women being very talented performers and wrestlers. So all of that said, all of that criticism aside, I actually expect Sheeta Rose to be a really good match. That's why it's such a shame that they've basically spent no time or effort on it. Now, in terms of who's going to win, Sheeta has had a pretty long run 
with the title. You can make an argument they haven't used her much. Yes, I would make that argument. But it does seem like this is the opportunity to put the women's championship on Nyla Rose. There's more faces who can probably go up against her as challengers, Britt Baker being the exception. Yes, would you love a Hikaru Shida Britt Baker feud with Baker winning the title? If I was booking, that's the direction I would go because they haven't done enough to develop Nyla Rose in all this time. But it just seems to me like maybe they want to reset the division, put the title on Nyla Rose and kind of go from there. But again, the women's division in AEW is so thin. And now you factor in the NWA Women's Championship, but Serena Deeb's the champion, so she's not going to be really contending for anything. It's just a mess. And just like with the TNT Championship, this one really could go either way. But the gut says that this is set up to be a Nyla Rose change to get Vicky Guerrero on the mic a little bit more, maybe have her sell the division a little bit better. Next up, we have Chris Jericho versus MJF. And if MJF wins, he gets to join the inner circle. The match we got was MJF and Wardlow defeating Ortiz and Sammy Guevara in the opening bout of the entire show. Jericho bragged about Jake Hager beating some tomato can in an MMA fight, then called MJF soft. This was a really good storytelling match with interactions between MJF and Wardlow, plus this match being a challenge for them before full gear. Guevara hit MJF with his awesome GTH. Wardlow broke the fall turned a double superplex into a super duperplex. He then dragged MJF into the corner, tagged himself in, hit the F10 on Ortiz. I thought that was going to be the finish to the match, but clearly, stupid me, of course, you want MJF to be the one to go over. Uh, Guerrero broke the fall with a splash, then hit a springboard 720 onto MJF. Sammy has a really bright future, man. He is so ridiculously talented. That's when Hardy, dressed as Serpentico, threw a chair, hit Sammy in the head, letting MJF hit salt of the earth, on Ortiz for the submission victory. This was a fun overall match and a very smartly booked finish, as I'm kind of saying here. I love that MJF took a run at Jericho and speared him through the stand and repeat banner to prove he's not soft and he is deserving of Jericho's respect ahead of their match. As for what happens in the match, your guess is really as good as mine. Uh, If MJF beats Jericho, he gets to join the inner circle, it seems like there would be a disappointing finish if they just ended it with MJF failing. So the question then is, how does he beat Chris Jericho? Maybe it's through the involvement of Wardlow. The other question is, if MJF beats Jericho and gets to join the inner circle, does Wardlow join the inner circle as well? Is he just a bodyguard for the inner circle? Do they drop that storyline? Does Wardlow maybe turn on MJF? So there's a lot of different ways that we can go with this match. I do think Wardlow will end up factoring in somehow. And I do expect there to be a presence of Inner Circle and MJF near or around the ring. So maybe it's a scenario where Wardlow turns on MJF, costing him a spot in the Inner Circle. That way Jericho gets the win in the match, which MJF can absorb a loss better, by the way. Jericho gets a win in the match but then invites MJF into the inner circle anyway because it was unfair what happened. We've already seen hints of Wardlow turning on MJF. Maybe they go in that direction or they go in the other direction where Wardlow continues to have his back and maybe MJF being in the inner circle is the beginning of their split. So I'm not, again, exactly sure what direction they ultimately will go in, but I will lean MJF and... It is 
it, it does speak highly about AEW. This is not a criticism that the last three matches I've talked about, I don't really know who's going to win. And there's plausibility for either side to actually be the victor. That's good storytelling. It means that you're not giving us obvious booking, even though, yes, Triple H, sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. But it doesn't always have to be predictable. So in these three middle matches, it does feel like there's some stuff up in the air. And you know what? I'm going to talk about one more where it feels like that's the case as well. That's the AEW Tag Team Championship, where FTR will be defending against the Young Bucks with a stipulation that if the Young Bucks lose, they cannot challenge for the tag team titles again. They did a promo package on the stipulation. I thought it was pretty weak, just as I didn't like the announcement of the stipulation last week either. And again, the stipulation itself doesn't make much sense, just as it didn't for Cody. Faces or guys who are more in the face role, giving themselves unnecessary potential roadblocks without challengers demanding them. It's just really not good booking. And even if you're saying, okay, well, it's anti-typical wrestling booking. Sometimes you just want things to make sense. And this doesn't really make sense. It is also interesting, by the way, that this comes exactly one year to the show where Cody put this stipulation in for himself. So you kind of sit there and wonder, is there a reason for that parallel? Is there a story that AEW is going to tell with that? That we'll have to wait and see. The Young Bucks defeated Private Party in a really athletic and exciting TV match on Dynamite, but it didn't really add much to the storyline other than to show the Bucks are now more aggressive and heelish or tweener, which we already knew. The Bucks hit the BTE trigger for the win. After the match, FTR attacked the Young Bucks with Goodnight Express before nearly using a chair to crush Matt Jackson's ankle for a second time. Hangman Page and Kenny Omega both came into the ring. We'll pause here. We'll talk about them momentarily. But the first thing we need to do is talk about this tag team match. So again, just as with these other matches that we're talking about here, it really could go in either direction. There is a strong case for FTR to retain the titles, namely because they were just made champion a couple months ago and they haven't really had a strong run whatsoever with the titles. On the other hand, you kind of look at the Young Bucks and you say, well, are you really going to have Cody be unable to go after the AEW world title and the Young Bucks, still one of the best tag teams in the entire company, be unable to go after the tag team champions? I just don't think that's going to happen. It's one thing for Cody to have that stipulation mark, I guess, on his resume. It's another thing for the Young Bucks to do that. This match, FTR versus Young Bucks, I wish was about so much more than the stipulation. The stipulation almost takes you out of the fact that they've been building to this match for years and we're finally getting it and it's going to most likely be incredible. But now we're sitting here and we're like, there's a title on the line where it probably didn't even need one because FTR versus Young Bucks could have been completely about pride. Instead, it's now about the title and the stipulation. It's really hard to imagine AEW, like I said, putting Cody and Young Bucks in the same situation. So to me, it almost gives away the finish, gives away the end, which is going to be the Young Bucks winning the titles. Now, do they perhaps do that by almost in a dusty finish type of scenario, a double turn, not a dusty finish, I'm sorry, a double turn type of scenario where the Young Bucks go 
full heel and FTR somehow maybe turns face. That's potentially possible. I just, it's a strangely booked match. I think they got away from what really made this exciting, which was just this long feud. They could have done all the callbacks from um, being the elite and all the conversations that they had on Twitter, the tweets back and forth. They could have shown those in a video package. Instead, they're making it all about this brand new stipulation and the Young Bucks kind of being a little bit more aggressive than they were in the past. So I feel like something, the heart of this storyline has been missed. That's not the case for the final two matches that that we're going to talk about. But ultimately, I do see a second title change on the night, and I do see the Young Bucks coming out as the new tag team champions. Now we have what I consider to be our co-main event, what probably will be the best match of the night, the number one contendership world title eliminator finals, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. As I mentioned, at the FT, at the end of the FTR Young Bucks segment, Page and Omega both came in for the save. They bumped fists because they both helped the Young Bucks and respected each other. But then Page got angry that Omega turned his back on him and they had a stare down in the ring. So now we're talking about this match. And that was interesting, that stare down in particular, because it came after Omega did a fantastic interview with Tony Schiavone. It was probably... Omega's second best promo interview that he's done in all of his time in AEW, aside from the John Moxley one where their match got canceled and Omega had to react to it on the spot. That was another level, but this was really damn good. Omega referenced the sports-based product comments about AEW that everyone talks about, the fact that he wound up being in two replacement matches, and even that Omega versus Page was an obvious booking for the finals of this tournament. So he hits all of the insider stuff, and it also served as a really good preview for the match. Just excellent stuff top to bottom. Page came into his interview with Jim Ross, clearly drunk. JR called him out on it, called him out on being wasted, I should say. He also called him out on being nervous for the upcoming match. Page did some really great acting here, talking about that he may have nothing left but the bottle if he loses to Omega. So while this storyline has been crystal clear, It was nice to see him finally verbalize it in that way. They also had another type of video package preview for the match where they had Don Callis in. And it was was a nice touch having Don Callis there because he does have that expertise level on Omega. Production made me laugh playing uh, Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone from Cinderella as part of the video package. Just a really nice touch and a good element to use that song. So now we come into this match and we talk about, you know, who's going to win? Who ultimately is going to win? and become the number one contender for the AEW World Championship. And for me, no doubt about it, it absolutely has to be Kenny Omega. Not only is he already on a great singles run thus far, he is also clearly ready for the match that we've been waiting for, not a hardcore match or whatever the hell they called it, unsanctioned with John Moxley, but a Kenny Omega, John Moxley, one-on-one world title match where most likely Omega is the one to ultimately take the title off Moxley and become the AEW world champion. Page, he had that opportunity a year ago with Chris Jericho as is part of the storyline. He failed and his alcoholism storyline needs to come to a head. If he wins and beats Omega, who's really the best wrestler in the world still right now, 
despite being inebriated or hungover or whatever the case in this match, there's really nowhere else to go except for him to ultimately lose. Otherwise, the story you're telling is that being a drunk piece of crap is a good thing, which it is not. And we know this. And, and we know that AEW is not going to go in that direction. So for me, you have to have Omega win. Page goes further into his downward spiral. And then the idea behind it is that the elite finally reforms together where Omega picks Page up maybe after the match, after being depressed, after drinking. The uh, the Young Bucks maybe as the new tag team champions come in, they all prop Page up again. The elite reforms as a faction and all of them go on to their massive success. If you guys remember, I've mentioned many times on this podcast, the storyline that AEW started the calendar year 2020 with. On the very first Dynamite, it was all about will the elite solidify? Will this be the year of the elite or will they crumble? And the story they've told us all the way through November now is the elite crumbling. This is now that opportunity to bring them all back together for the final you know, six, seven weeks of the calendar and have the elite maybe on top by the time the final Dynamite or whatever, if they do a special show to end the year by the time that goes off the air. So it's gonna be really interesting to see if I'm right about it, if they maybe change the storyline and decided to extend it, not just into 2020, but maybe into the early part of 2021, maybe their next pay-per-view because of how things have changed. But I am remembering that storyline and in order for them to continue that storyline, in order for them to tell the page storyline and really the Omega storyline, for me, the only answer here is you have to have Kenny Omega come out as the winner and the new number one contender. I do expect this to be the match of the night. I think the main event is going to be the most brutal match. It's gonna be maybe the match people are talking about. But when you look at this card and you say, okay, where are we gonna get the five-star matches? I think the women's match has a great opportunity to be like a four-star type of match. Cody Darby Allen, same thing. FTR Young Bucks, look, if we're doing the, the scale of the certain person who really kind of not invented, but has made famous, uh, the five-star scale, it's probably already a five-star and it's probably gonna get beyond that. I don't know if it'll be there, but we'll see. It has a chance. FTR and Young Bucks, great teams. Kenny Omega, Adam Hangman Page. My expectation is five-star. And the question is, does it fall below or exceed that expectation? We'll let you know in our AEW Full Gear instant analysis. But last, certainly not least here, the main event of AEW Full Gear, we have John Moxley defending the AEW World Championship against Eddie Kingston in an I Quit match. So for their segment on Wednesday night, there was absolutely no physicality allowed, but that made it so much better. I would be doing them such an injustice to try and summarize the dueling promo between two of the absolute best promo guys in the entire industry right now, especially from wrestlers. It was far too long, five minutes actually, to play the entire thing as well. So that said, I pieced together, cut together a snippet of the greatness that we got Wednesday night between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, just to refresh your memory before we talk about this. I'm gonna destroy you Saturday. You understand that? On the seventh, I'm gonna ruin you. And I'm gonna take that championship. I'm gonna hand it to my mother. And I'm gonna tell her, Ma, the reason why you don't have a grandchild is because of this. The reason why I didn't give you a daughter-in-law is because of this. Because this is all that matters in our sport. 
I was so happy for you, man. I was so happy for you Who when cares? you signed the contract. Shut cares? up. I'm trying to tell you. I don't care. I'm trying to tell you I what's going care. on. I was so happy for you when you signed the contract. You weren't happy. I was happy for you. I was happy for your mother, whose dream it was. Yeah, your mother, Ruthie. Don't you ever Whose kitchen table mother. I sat at. Don't you ever. Who I said drinks with. Who I made a promise to. That I would look after you. That I would always have your back. No matter what trouble you caused for yourself, I made that promise to her. And I guess, well, I guess I broke that promise, didn't I? After 18 years, you finally get your shot this Saturday. You get your shot, the shot you never thought you would get. Deep down in your heart, you know. Deep down in your heart, you know you're going to be in the ring with the AEW World Champion, the best wrestler on this planet right now. And you're going to lose. Wow. So it is a scary thought. I get it. Maybe after 18 years, it turns out you didn't deserve it after all. And the worst part of this, Eddie, the worst part of this, this the part of this that makes me sick, that puts my stomach in knots. You made a promise. You made a promise to your mother that you can't keep. You better get ready to kill me. You better get ready to kill me. You better get ready to kill me. I mean, that is the feel spot siren. That might be best promo segment of the year. It is certainly up for that, man. Moxley saying Kingston's going to disappoint his mother and learn he waited 18 years for a world title opportunity only to lose that opportunity, not win the title. It was so great in that visually Kingston turning his back on Moxley, saying Moxley's going to have to kill him, literally kill him because he won't quit. All of it was just fantastic. And if you're a wrestling fan, first of all, you got to love that promo. But if you're a wrestling fan, I don't care that Eddie Kingston's the heel. How are you not rooting for Eddie Kingston to beat John Moxley? I am not going to predict Kingston beating Moxley. Moxley, I believe, is going to come out of full gear as the AEW world champion. But I wish I could. I wish I could predict Eddie Kingston winning this match because they have done such an incredible job of building an unexpected world title match for one of their few yearly pay-per-views. I have no idea what was initially intended to go down at this show in the main event for Moxley's challenger. But you could not ask for something better than what Eddie Kingston has delivered. Now, is this going to be a five-star technical classic? No. Are these guys going to brutalize each other? Yes. And what I hope is that AEW threads that needle between a great, hardcore, I-quit match, brutal, weapons, you know, submission moves outside, Moxley doing the MMA stuff, all of that, but they don't go into that unsanctioned match territory that they leaned on so heavily early on in AEW with all the blood and the barbed wire. We don't need that. I don't need that to sell brutality. That promo was brutality. I am so freaking excited for this match. I don't know whether it eventually will end up being five stars, but you can get there. You look at Walter and Ila Dragunov on NXT UK. I don't even think I ever got an opportunity to talk about this on this podcast. Maybe I will 
for the Tuesday WWE show or this next NXT uh, AEW show on Thursday. That match, you guys, I'm gonna do it right now, actually. Screw it. Pausing right here. Go on WWE Network, find the last episode of NXT UK and watch Walter versus Ilya Dragunov. True five-star match, one of the most brutal and violent wrestling matches I have ever seen outside of Japan because it wasn't about barbed wire and it wasn't about weapons. It was just two guys kicking the ever-loving shit out of each other. And that's what we're gonna get Saturday night. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston kicking the ever-loving shit out of each other. You can tell, I'm really excited for this match. This is a dream come true for Eddie Kingston. It would be a brand new, like, two-month-old dream for the Silver King if Kingston came out with the title. But I don't think that's what's gonna happen. Instead, I think Kingston is going to brutalize John Moxley to the point that Moxley barely wins by the skin of his teeth. And I have no idea how they're gonna do that I quit part because at this point, based on those promos, you cannot have Kingston quit. Maybe you have to have medical trainers stop the match or something like that. You you kayfabe your way out of it. I don't know what they're going to do, but at some point Moxley is gonna come out as the winner. And my hope is he is so brutalized in kayfabe and so injured that it puts him at a disadvantage for a potential Kenny Omega challenge. Because what you want when you eventually do take the title off John Moxley, you, there's two things you want. One, you need some air. You need air between Omega winning the number one contendership and Moxley theoretically winning this match. Why? Because number one, you want to stretch it out. You want this to be a pay-per-view match, not a AEW Dynamite match. Number two, even though Kenny Omega is now a singles wrestler and has, he just beat Pentagon and he's had some really good matches since stepping into this role, you want to build up that resume within AEW for Omega. So by the time he gets to Moxley, that's the match of, I mean, I'm assuming it'll be by the end of 2020, but even if it's January, 2021, the match of the year right at the beginning of the year, potentially. So that is why, is this, I say, is this card really good? Yes, this is a loaded card. Is it a little bit too big? Yes, it is a little bit too big. There's probably two matches, maybe three more than need to be on this show. But when you look at the middle of this, the potential for Cody Darby Allen and Ukaro Shida Nyla Rose and Chris Jericho MJF, all of those have potential to be really damn good matches. And then when you look at the three major matches, FTR Young Bucks, Kenny Omega Hangman Page, John Moxley, Eddie Kingston. I'm not necessarily saying on paper that it stacks up with some of the best cards we've seen this year, but by the end of the show, by the time Full Gear is off the air, we may well say that AEW Full Gear is the number one pay-per-view of the year. My hope is AEW learned a lot of its lessons from All Out, which was a massive disappointment and they come through with full gear because this has the potential to be that type of transitional show where the momentum really starts to build for your company if enough people are watching. Now, obviously, there's things going on in the world right now that may prevent a lot of people from ordering this pay-per-view. That might be the case, but word of mouth matters as well. We know AEW fans in particular are very vocal. The point is, the Silver King is exceedingly excited for AEW Full Gear, not just now, but Saturday night, because what does Getting Over do? What does the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast do after pay-per-views? We hit you with that instant analysis. 
just minutes after the show goes off the air. So do not forget, if you're a first-time listener, subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts because Saturday night, probably Sunday morning, that's the truth because this thing's going to end after midnight. Sunday morning, after AEW Full Gear goes off the air, we will have a hot, fresh, ready podcast for your ear holes. So again, subscribe to Getting Over wherever you listen to podcasts. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And I know you guys love this ultimate preview of AEW Full Gear. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. This has been a long edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for our normal Thursday show. Thank you all for listening to everything we had to say about NXT, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Full Gear. We will be back on Saturday, then Tuesday for our next WWE show, and then Thursday again to talk NXT and AEW. With that, I will leave you with just three short words. Bye for now.